0: Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow.
1: I'm Ed Greer. And I am producer Bill.
2: And today, it's an idea, uh, myself and Bill Hatch, where we were doing the last Patreon, you heard. Patreon.com forward slash The Greatest Pod. We brainstormed this and it was basically greatest comic book movies by decade. And it gets really interesting the more you get towards the modern era, as you know, but we got to start with the baby, the baby that came down in the rocket ship and started the whole genre. It's kind of interesting how Superman 1978 is the greatest superhero movie of the 70s, and it started the genre much like the comics started the superhero genre. I think that's pretty interesting.
1: Uh, I think it's a great example of history rhyming, you know, it it couldn't have happened any other way. Absolutely changed the game. Never before had anybody seriously tried to put a superhero on screen in all their glory with no tongue firmly planted in cheek, Mm. you know, with respect to maybe the Captain Marvel serials, with respect to the George Reeves Superman TV show. You know, I think comic book superheroes have a much longer lifespan when you look at things like serial entertainment. I mean, serials were essentially TV before TV. They were shorts that you would go and see in the movie theaters. Um, But that aside, and animation aside, no one had ever, ever even attempted to do something on the scale of Superman the movie. And the fact that it largely succeeds at everything that it's trying to do It may have 1970s pacing, but you got to look past that and just appreciate the absolute masterstroke that is that movie.
0: Well, and you know what? The other thing about that movie is, I mean, if you were alive at that time, like when I was young, even watching it in the 80s, I remember thinking, this is pretty good special effects for that time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Star Wars came out the year before Superman, the movie. So I I wouldn't say that it's, On the level of Star Wars, but a lot of the techniques that George Lucas pioneered and even just the tone that George George Lucas pioneered, like that sort of lived in world that takes itself seriously while still being able to be fun was very much applied to superheroes by Superman, the movie. So it was it was cutting edge for its time, for sure. I also think it's one
2: of the the only movies in the superhero oeuvre that really treats the superhero like God. You know what I mean? Like mm. most of these other things are like, oh, I got these powers and I struggle with even like things like Batman and stuff. But like Superman really is the god of that world to the point where he can spin the spin the uh the planet backwards and then reverse time to save Lois Lane. It's I think it was maybe the first time that I'd been as a kid confronted with somebody being a good guy that had ultimate responsibility. Like, I think that's the reason why that moment gets over for me, even after all these years of like, no, gravity doesn't work that way. No, time doesn't probably work that way. That's not the point. The point of that whole thing is this guy has so much responsibility and was feeling so much hurt over his failure that he did the most super thing you can do to reverse it. You know what I mean? It's just like there's something about the ultimate power and ultimate responsibility in that act that
1: gets it over.
0: uh, And the whole thing was a metaphor of the earth spinning backwards was just a metaphor.
1: Yeah, it's kind of intoned. I think Dick Donner has actually made that argument in the, in the years since he directed the movie was that essentially they were trying to come up with a visual way to showcase him traveling so fast that he broke the time barrier. And, you know, rather than use some kind of hacky uh, imitation of like the wormhole effects in 2001, they tried to come up with a totally different way to visualize it on screen. And yeah, it has since been um, misunderstood and derided. But I think that moment works. And this is one of the reasons why I so appreciate that movie, because the story is ultimately very simple. It's a dude with godlike power who is trying to do good. Who just keeps experiencing loss, like the inciting incident of the movie, his entire planet dies. Then he grows up on Earth. He gets rejected by the girl and then his dad dies and he can't do anything about either of it. So then he goes on a quest. He becomes a superhero, but he can't have a life with the woman that he now loves. All the way up to, I encountered Lex Luthor, who's a total psychopath, who is the worst that humanity has to offer, and he gets one over on me. And just when I think I'm able to triumph over that, the woman that I love dies. And it's like, to your point, Ed, he's treated so much as this godlike figure that nothing can hurt, but the entire movie just keeps putting these failures in his path. And so that moment when he screams and he hears the voice of his father up in the clouds and it's telling him, no, you're forbidden, you're forbidden. And it's almost like choosing, no, God damn it. I need something for me. And he fucking turns, the, he spins the earth backwards, travels back in time, whatever you want mm-hmm. it. It's just soaringly triumphal to use a uh, variety phrase, <laughs> <laughs> but it really is like I remember
0: watching it the first time and like really feeling sad for the guy. That is this is brutal. He's done everything he could possibly do. He saved everyone else, but not this one person. And it's the one one of the main per- most important people to him that it can be. And then, you know, defying your dad. Yeah, please. I'm, <laughs> I'm into it
1: ron swallow all day long well
2: and also just this this concept that um i i love you know the fact that marlon Brando's in it
1: who played superman's dad was like it was a guy named glenn ford who was huge in movies at the time had been you know in classic westerns and and um you know suspense thrillers and things like that going all the way back to the 40s so he was really a well-established actor yeah, just the fact that it was stacked at almost
2: every position with actors to the point where and I got to say one of the strengths I'm uh, we'll talk about the more modern stuff in a minute of fucking youngsters but one of the best parts about the movie now that I think about it is that Margot Kidder was an actress instead of a beauty.
1: Yeah. Cuz
2: I think I think for almost the rest of I mean Amy Adams is an actress I'm not denigrating her at all but like almost every Lois hints from from uh Margot Kidder It's basically a pretty thin, cute white woman that Mm -hmm. is sort of, I'm inquisitive, I guess, but like Margot Kidder was like chain smoking. She had her own life. You know, you know, sometimes Superman would come in and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You got some last night, huh, Lois? You know what I mean? Like she was a liberated woman. You know what I mean? She was a liberated woman. She did her own thing. She probably had a fit the vodka in her fucking desk. You know what I mean? She was a woman of the 70s, like a real woman. And I think they just kind of, I don't know, in movies, I don't think I'd seen, a, I thought I'd seen better Lois's later, because boy, that Terry Hatcher was awesome, and that shitty Dean Kane one. But mm. goddamn, it's not about her beauty, it's about her character. Superman isn't with the most beautiful, most famous woman in the world. He's with the best woman in the world. And I think that that's cool.
1: I think that's dope as hell. I mean, that's also one of those things that you really start to appreciate more as you get older and you rewatch the movie and you look at it with fresh eyes. I feel the same way about Gene Hackman's performance. Mm. You know, I think it's very easy to write off as being kind of campy or silly or over the top and they've got the wig gimmick and he's got a really weird wardrobe. But two things, number one, Hackman was arguably as big a star as Brando at that time. Brando's coming off The Godfather. Hackman's coming off The French Connection, which itself kind of topped a whole string of big movies, including The Conversation, which was the movie that Coppola did right before The Godfather. And Hackman does with the material that they give him more than he really needed to at the time. And I would argue that goofiness aside still one of the best portrayals of Lex Luthor ever put to screen, just in terms of character, just in terms of like the callous psychopathy the just in terms of like the absolute narcissistic self aggrandizing, just in terms of like being able to look at you with this combination of scorn and malice, but also a hint of glee while keeping it a little bit understated. I don't know, man, like, Again, they ask him to do some goofy shit, but there's still something about it that rings really true to what a good Lex Luthor should be.
0: Who else have we had play Lex Luthor that was good besides the guy from Smallville?
1: Yeah, and even that is like a very different version of the character. He's almost an antihero in that show. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I honestly think it's Hackman and Clancy Brown from the animated stuff. I mean, those are the good Lex Luthor's
2: dude i mean yeah i I literally can't argue with
1: any of that uh let's move on to the 80s then here's where it starts to get interesting superman kicks the doors down and now from 1980 until that fateful year 1989 we got a couple choices yeah
2: i mean i'd like to start out with um uh puma man i think uh (laughs) puma man is definitely getting my vote Um, wait a
0: minute there's a puma man Oh my Dude, god, there
2: is. Of course, there's a
1: Puma uh, man.
2: This is a uh, running puma
1: thing man. with Ed because his favorite obscure Spider-Man villain, the Puma. Dude, I got a thing.
2: What was what's that thing? Uh, uh uh in Devil's Advocate. Um, Al Pacino goes, I'm a fan of man, and it's like maybe I'm like, I got a thinks for the lynx or a uh, tuma for the puma. I don't know. It's really it's,
0: <laughs> you got a tuma for the puma. I like that one. That's my favorite. Uh, He's got a tuma for the puma. <laughs>
2: Uh, i mean i just i just but not on on the real shit though i'd like to start this debate with superman 2 because i fucking love superman 2 it happens to come out in like 80 81 i think 80 um and damn it superman 2 is seminal for me because again even when you look at the power fantasy aspect of it forget that his he took his powers away to be with lois lane or whatever Uh, any of that stuff is fine but just superman who we've seen have these godlike powers the ability to reverse time and so on and so forth shoot lasers and then three people who can do that come hmm. and the havoc that they wreak in like two days is is amazing they take over the united states in two days you know what i mean and and i just there's something about that that responsibility You know, that that three people like you could come to your place and fuck your whole shit up. It was what Man of Steel was trying to recapture. Mm. It's one of the biggest things in Superman lore is even in All-Star Superman, the best issue to me is that one issue where he runs into two Kryptonians and they fucking ruin the world, basically. You know what I mean? And he's just like, shit. And they're just too tough to beat because there's too many of them, you know what I mean? And they have too much power and they're soldiers and criminals, you know what I mean? Which this foreign boy can't handle. There's something beautiful about the crux of all that.
1: Yeah, I think you also have to remember that Superman 2 was originally filmed back to back with the first Superman movie. And it was really intended to be a part 2 and it wasn't until Dick Donner had a falling out with the Salkines who produced the movies that they ended up bringing in a new director, Richard Lester, who reshot mm-hmm. a bunch of the movie, reworked it into more of a standalone. But if you think about it as being part two to that first Superman movie, like we just talked about, the first Superman movie is about him kind of finally finding himself enough to stop this cycle of loss and, and, um, uh, scarcity i guess emotional scarcity in his life but then superman part two comes along and flips it up totally on its head where now he wants to just have that life that he was able to you know open himself up to at the end of superman one and just as he's making that decision this inexorable force both from his past and with enough power to make him the only one who can face it shows up, and it's sort it's just like it's like a reckoning arriving for him after the trial of the first Superman movie. It's really cool it
0: is I don't have anything to add except for that i I loved the fight scenes in it like as like it's just a very simple like especially again for the time period him being punched into the sign and the Coca-cola mm. thing exploding the whole yeah. Uh, uh. Then of course, um, I have my personal favorite, where when Superman gets petty at the end. Wait, is that that is Superman too? Where he le- he gives yeah. away his powers, right? It is, and then yeah. he gets them back, and that because the guy was a dick to him, and a dick to generally everybody, and then he just yeah just been lifting weights. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, that that truck stop. I'm telling you. That shit, that was how I felt when I stopped doing comedy over the pandemic and and for a few months after the pandemic was quote unquote over and I wasn't going out. I I told somebody, I was like, I feel like Superman too, man. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, shut up. I just, just got to gotta get back to where I can fuck up truckers. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not my people. Fuck you. The last thing I'll say is the thing that damns this movie and makes it not the best of the 80s is because mm-hmm. it started the trend of the hero wanting to quit, and yeah. fuck that that it. it that, Nolan kept it. A bunch of these other people keep it. I think even Blade is like, man, just give me some serum. I just want to go live on a mountain away from these damn vampires. I, you know, I, I think uh, uh, spoiler alert, Blade's coming up uh, in a while, but uh, I don't think yeah, Blade didn't want to quit. The Batman in the comics doesn't want to quit. Superman in the comics doesn't want to quit. None of these people want to quit. But for some reason, in movies, I guess the the seventies, eighties mind slash boomer mind of the creators at the time, they're just like that'd be too much, or mm-hmm. it's or having these adventures unabashedly serialized going on into infinity like James Bond is beyond me. There must be some arc. We must find some way to for him to battle against himself, man versus his 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 wants and his needs, blah blah. blah. And it's just like so. Superman is barely a super motherfucker. He runs into a bald asshole with two incompetents, and they almost destroy the world. And the (laughs) next motherfucking thing he wants to do is take away all his power. So he's just powerless against the next person that does that. It's stupid as fuck on so many levels. I can't stand it. But I, I understand the emotions, but. ugh.
1: But even the reason that he has to give up his powers ends up being really contrived. Like, it's yes. not that he's put into a dramatic situation that forces right. him to assess his life. It's just, you know, his, because they couldn't get Brando, now his mother's hologram telling <laughs> him, well, if you want to be in love with this lady, you got to get rid of your superpowers. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things in the script that are a little bit like, okay, well, I guess that happened. Dude, it'd be like
2: getting advice from a Russian bot, a Russian Instagram bot that says, Hello, dear. Please click on link, to see my nude pictures. Listening to a bot like that tell you about your fucking love life or to give up all your goddamn superpowers.
1: Stupid ass Kryptonian bot. Shut up. Yeah. I also think that, you know, this movie suffers a little bit from it really hung a lot on its spectacle and as a movie that does that the spectacle doesn't hold up as well as you would hope it it could right like the first superman movie is really a character piece and it's it's the performances and it's the tone and it's the music and it's just the feeling you get while you watch it while yeah. the second one is trying really hard to be a big bold action movie and like maybe it worked at the time but looking back on it now it doesn't quite hold up to me uh, absolutely. Oh,
2: also, literally, I, and this—it's my job, I guess, to bring up obscure ones. When did uh, Conan the Barbarian come out? Because that's mine for the eighties. That was unless 80s? unless it's unless it's going to be you know a, we we talk about a couple others, but I just want to throw Conan in there. It always gets left off of these lists because yeah. I guess it's technically based on a book, and the comic well, and books also, are based on the book series.
0: He's arguably. This is the other thing with Flash Gordon, who's also in this like in the 80s. I I don't know if they count as superheroes per se. If you're if because because this is a it's a sword and sorcery thing. Now arguably Conan has
1: superpowers. I mean he's pushing <laughs> the
0: wheel of thing by himself. Let's be real.
1: But I think within within his universe Conan has superpowers for yeah. sure. Flash Gordon, you know, just has the athleticism of the of a New York Jets quarterback. Yes. Conan has superpowers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and also just like uh, just Conan's upbringing was his superpower. <laughs> just yeah. Like, God
1: damn, my it's life sucks.
2: Yeah, my life sucks so bad. Yeah. So I thought it was a 82, 83 but the yeah. bottom line is, I just, I just put forth Conan because a, we're talking about comic book movies, not necessarily superhero movies. Because I wouldn't really call uh, even my boy Blade is Blade true. a superhero. Does he fucking save cats from trees? Does he give a fuck about a lady getting robbed on the street? Fuck no. Unless the dude's robbing her with fangs. He doesn't give a shit, I bet. You know what I mean? So some of these people aren't heroes. Yeah, Uh, it's comic book uh, movies. But yeah, so if it's comic book movies, I got to say, I just want to at least have an honorable mention for that movie. And for those who have like, like I've told the story before, but I met a so-called film reviewer who I see now, like in the pre-things of movie theaters, uh, when when they're talking to critics, quote unquote, I see them on the internet and when I talk to this person, I tell him, um, hey, you know, uh, Conan the Barbarian is actually worth another look if you, haven't, if, if you haven't watched it in a while. People kind of dismissed it as like sort of a schlocky thing, but it's a pretty well-made movie. John Milius is a really great director and screenwriter. And the person goes, I'll take your word for it. And they're like Ooh. some film authority. I'm like, Dude. fuck yourself to death. That's an, that's an insane attitude to have, even though sometimes I have that attitude about stuff. And that's, that's, those are the worst parts of myself. So every time I try to be super dismissive, like Ron brings up some fantasy shit, I just want to be a real asshole. I got to slow my roll and realize that that person is doing to me what I've done to other people.
0: And that's and, why yeah. I have to. When you mention Conan, I have to bring up Beastmaster.
2: So you know, <laughs> what's well, that based on a comic book? But yes, I would no, talk, I would talk about not. Beastmaster all day. That's actually uh,
0: really fun. But Conan is based on a, a, a books and comic books, and I would argue that for the eighties. Besides once we get to Batman, I don't know what is actually better movie wise than that. I don't think Superman Two is better than Conan
1: I mean I think Conan is definitively better than Superman Two personally, and I'm a Superman mm-hmm. guy, yeah yeah,
2: and it's also better than Superman three I um, mean Superman <laughs> three,
1: <laughs> like Superman three and four also eighties movies, but who cares yeah yeah we're not even. I just just
2: in In Defense of Superman 3, I just got to say the scene where the lady gets turned into a robot by falling that into a computer great. which eats her scared me as a kid. I was like this is horrifying. Up.
1: Horrifying. Yeah, that was absolutely. Horrifying. You know, speaking of robots, before we do move into Batman 89 and try to reckon with Conan versus Batman, there is another movie from the 80s That wasn't based on a comic, but kind of was, and then Mm -hmm. spawned a bunch of good comics. Mm -hmm. And that, my friends, is RoboCop. Yeah, baby! Oh, yeah. RoboCop Mm -hmm. famously was a soft adaptation, some might say an illegal adaptation, of Judge Dredd. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the inspiration for his look, for his attitude, for his world, etc., They just made him into a cyborg. Um, And then RoboCop lived long in comics published mostly by Dark Horse. Yeah. So RoboCop is also one of the greatest political satires ever put to film. RoboCop is a genuinely thrilling story of a man trying to beat back against the system that wronged him. Robocop is a perfect, schlocky 80s crime thriller with hateable villains. I mean, Robocop does so much shit right. Let's just introduce a
2: category of reverse comic book movies, like movies that come out and inspire comics. For L. Oh, and dude, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Howard the Duck for four seconds. If you read those comics and liked those comics, that movie was a violation. It was maybe one of the first violations where you're just like, oh, these motherfuckers do not care about me.
1: They just don't. That's such a weird movie, man. Like, I don't even know what to say about that movie. I mean, (laughs) it's Uh, duck boobs. Is that what you want to say? (laughs) Yes, I do. It's when Uh my balls dropped. No. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Look, I had a problem. I, had, I could only watch ducks to drink off too.
1: <laughs> Ron had a real mallard fetish.
2: <laughs> oh, 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 real, 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 real quick. It's real hard in my
0: grandma's house because that's just she just had statues of mallards everywhere. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dude, uh, hey, a new, new, a new, uh, new uh, reason to say fuck a duck. <laughs> oh. No, oh, literally. Oh. Go ahead. No, no, the movie I was thinking of earlier was Predator because oh. Predator came out and was sort of schlocky superhero wee guys in the story floor stuff and then became due to Dark Horse a long running series of comics. So I was like, Yeah, Robocop and Predator
1: are reverse comic book movies. So is Alien.
0: No
1: I yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, Terminator and Alien would both fit that same um mm-hmm. description. Mm-hmm. That said, I I I kind of want to limit it to RoboCop because essentially the other yeah. ones are worlds and villains that go on to become great comics. But RoboCop is at least a hero that goes on to become a comic book hero. No, nah, you're right. And, and the yeah. comics, they fuck they fuck
2: around and kill Dutch. Like Dutch's brother, who's like a Chicago cop. Like, okay, Dutch survived the Predators, and then I guess he got caught up in a government conspiracy and either got killed or taken to another planet or some shit like that. So basically, the person that solves the crime is his brother, who happens to be also a big buff guy. It's so preposterous. I do not know why you couldn't just have it be Dutch. Maybe uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger had like, likeness rights or something. Um, hell, and they couldn't yeah. just have Dutch have the continuous adventures. you know? But anyway, okay, uh, that digression so aside. Go ahead there's a couple of
0: films I do want to bring up that, I mean, I know we're not going to like spend a lot of time on them. Um, and I don't know if we're counting animated films uh, because heavy metal is amazing. Mm. Um, and I just want to bring that up. Cause that's, that thing was just like insane and super cool. And obviously from comics. Um, and then I also want to mention in my little heart of hearts, one I enjoy that I know I'm not supposed to enjoy is Supergirl from 1984. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've no, look, I gotta say, it's, and this could be just kid brain. I just remember watching it and having a good time. I can't even tell you what the plot
2: is. Yeah, well, t- I'll tell you what. They can't tell you what the plot is either.
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> or something. I, who knows? I, I mean, I definitely remember Helen Slater being very Maybe that's what it is.
0: Maybe that's no, what I, it is.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely
2: part of it, at least. I mean, super Babe. hot. Babe. Jeez Louise. Yeah. The, the 80s through and through. Yeah, nice, nice, long back. Anyway,
0: um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not that that's we're
1: objectifying true. or anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to mention, and I, I actually think this is a really good movie, even though it's over the top and stupid. It's from trauma.
1: And that's the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> I, I, Toxic Avenger definitely deserves an honorable mention. I'm with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing is so fun. The super, first superhuman
0: is from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a toxic sludge monster. Yeah. yeah, there's with a mop, This is great.
1: I, I would I would argue that uh, there hasn't been that good of a schlocky spoof superhero movie until the 2010 Super directed by James Gunn who came up in the trauma system, so it all connects, which is hilarious. There, there you go.
2: So now I guess it is time, right at the halfway or so uh, point of this convo, for us to talk about Batman 89. Mm. Um, I think it's sort of this weird de rigueur conversation in regards to, like, it really broke people's minds open, but I think I I went through a period where I thought of Batman 89 the way that I think of Michael Jordan now, i.e. super great, but so well marketed, I can't trust the greatness. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, okay, you're so you be so great, but like now that I'm an old older guy, I've seen so many people get marketed as the best when they're so not. You know what I mean? And my kid brain, I was too young to to discern between marketing and quality. Yeah, and when yeah. and eighty nine watched Batman and with Michael Jordan, same thing. So I just ugh, it was. I just want to officially
0: say that uh, Ed thinks Michael Jordan is one of the worst basketball players. That's not history. true. I mean, that's no, what I, he just I've, said. I mean, I'm no, just, like, I've I don't know
2: around, if you guys run it say back,
1: run it back. It's <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying
2: it's it's more it's more indisputable, especially if you take Conan out of the running. It's more indisputable that Batman is the best. Comic book movie of the eighties, yeah. than Michael Jordan is the best player of all time. It's more, I mean, it's more. Yeah. You know,
0: Kareem still holds the most points.
2: I mean, yeah, we don't have to go into that because these people don't know who these pituitary cases are. But yeah. yes, I, I definitely. I'm just saying, Batman '89 has grown to me in this legendary status because it's not just camp and it's not just dumb. It's got a vision, and yeah. it has a, a it has a lot of modernity to it. And it has uh, and the vision of an anachronistic city full of you know tourists folding maps and shit and 1930s cabs, but also super modern computers. But the modern computers take up whole rooms because they're not my mo- It's it's a beautiful piece of fucking art, and the fact that it was that popular amazes me now. Things with such a singular voice don't get to be that fucking popular
1: anymore. It is, I mean. To say nothing of what it did for comic book superheroes on screen, just as a movie, it is one of those once in a generation things where it is so weird. It's essentially plotless. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you go back and watch the movie, there's no real through line other than just the performances. Um, But yeah, visually, aesthetically, it's fucking amazing. Like, just why did they do so many of the things that they did? Like, how did they come up with that shit? What I think is hilarious, too, they essentially built one intersection from Gotham City. And what's really funny is, like, you get a big sweeping view of it with that one that they start the movie with, where the people are walking through and, you know, dodging everybody and whatnot. If you pay really close attention, every single exterior scene takes place on that corner in some way they just keep reframing it so that's sort of a fun game to play um but yeah i mean everything about the visuals of that movie was unlike visuals you were getting anywhere else the combination of the production design and the and the costuming and the photography and even just like the weird atmospheric effects that they achieve with like smoke and lighting and and all this stuff. It just, it creates such a visceral sense of place, but it's also just beautiful to look at. Part
0: of a bigger, uh, a regular world, but also something like outside of it. Like, uh, I don't know. Silmar is in LA. (laughs) (laughs) go there, you're like, technically it's still part of L.A., but there's guys riding horses. I don't know what's happening.
1: <laughs> I think what's what's cool about that, though, is like, previous to Batman 89, you would... Uh, the, the inclination to create a comic book universe, right? Something that l- plays by its own rules, was essentially Batman 66. Like, yes. it's this weird, bright, day glow thing where nobody really dies, and the stakes don't matter, and this and that. And then Richard Donner changed the game with Superman by saying, no, I want to set this firmly in a place that like feels like our world. It just has this godly guy in it. And that's cool. Tim Burton just went a totally third rail direction by being like, no, it's going to be its own weird comic book, you know, separate universe. But it's going to feel dirty and gross and like almost like a horror film, which is where most of his influence lies. So I love that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And last things last, um, I think it's one of the things, the thing, one of the things that stands the test of time, and I'll say it till my dying breath. The only thing that keeps the Nolan movies from being all the way the best of all the batman things to me is the fluidity of most of michael keaton's movements when he's a stunt guy in this movie i'm not mm-hmm. talking about where he can't turn his head and he's like he's backfisting people because he can't turn around and punch him and shit yeah i'm not I, even though that was still pretty cool like aesthetically i used to i used to try awesome. to backfist motherfuckers and be in a doorway and yeah, absolutely <laughs> reach out We'd, to the backfist somebody
0: yeah me and my friends were doing that all the time to each other Yep. If you, if you, someone walked up behind you and was like, boo, you'd be like, bam,
2: bam. Back fist, baby. I'm Batman. So, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 uh, they call that the, the, the right angle back fist. Uh, yeah. so, so yeah, shit like that. I'm not talking about shit like that. Remember the scenes when like, he's fighting the dude with the two swords and he's yep. blocking the swords and he's blocking it with his, he's doing, he's doing leg check <laughs> blocks with his, with his, yep. with his legs and his knees. And he's blocking with his things. You got and the then sparks. remember when, and yep. And then remember when, um, Uh, The guy, uh, the the scarred sort of uh, uh, big guy at the end of the movie, uh, Batman jumps off the bell off of the bell and the the big guy grabs him and hurls him and he hits the ground and rolls up to his feet in one super dope move. So they haven't done anything that dope since listen to my words. They haven't done anything that dope since I'm counting all of it. And it was it blew. It still blows my mind. That they were able to achieve that. And, like, again, Tim Burns, not some super action guy. That was just a great gag. That was like a gag from the future put into yeah. a 1989 movie. And I remember I, to this day, it's
1: beautiful. I'd go so far as to say the action choreography throughout that movie is fucking great. It I is. I mean, even, even the stuff that's not fighting, but just like where everybody's trying to get away in the ACE chemical plant. And you constantly see Batman like crossing through the background as guys are running through the foreground. Mm -hmm. And it's just like everything about the way that Batman moves and kind of his presence in that movie is just fucking pitch. Perfect.
2: Dude. last things last, he's also a creature in that movie. Like obviously we get to see him and shit, but like that Batman as a creature, you know, you know, I've been beating that drum. I beat the Mm -hmm. fucking skin off that drum. If he's not a creature, it doesn't work. If he's not mysterious, and that was one of the things, I used to be one of those training montage people, you remember. Oh, I want to see how Batman learned. And blah. That movie was like, man, fuck that. That shit is boring, and it's going to demystify this guy. Just let it be. You know how he trained? Look at that two sets of fucking, um, like, not parallel bars, those rings, like Olympic yeah. rings. Olympic rings hanging over a chasm. That's how he trained.
1: Fuck <laughs> off. I love that. Also, like that moment in the chemical factory where Commissioner Gordon looks up and he just goes, oh, my God, (laughs) that hits so fucking hard, dude. Like in terms of somebody's first. I mean, and even at the beginning of the movie, when the crooks look up and they first see Batman for the first time and they're just fucking horrified and the way he's hanging that guy over the edge of the building, like people's reactions to Batman throughout that movie are just so dope.
0: (laughs) Uh, Like the, also we're, we're forgetting Joker. I mean, Nicholson, he nailed that part in his own way. He made it his own thing. And it's different than a Joker that you would maybe see in a comic book, but it's also pretty great and scary, and but also funny.
2: Because yeah, that whole scene where he's fucking up the art shit, yeah, that was that was like so sacrilegious. You know, there, there was it's almost the worst thing he did in the movie, fucking up all mm. that beautiful old art, irreplaceable art. It's almost the worst thing he did. I mean, he did murder several newscasters. Again, uh, the Mona Lisa or your average news anchor. I'll take the Mona Lisa anyway. <laughs> uh, fucking, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was dope about it was uh last things last about the the Joker jazz. I'll say it before I I'll say it before I say it again. Fucking Michael Euslin walked around, the producer, Michael Euslin, walked around with the rights to Batman in his pocket since the 70s and got turned down literally 50-60 times. By different production companies, different um, uh, networks. They wanted to do, you know, Batman in space for CBS for a TV movie. They wanted to do this, that, and the other, and he just stuck to his guns, trying to make it a so-called serious movie. Now, I don't think he got a serious movie. He got something kind of better than a serious movie. We've gotten serious Batman since, mm. and I just don't know. I I used to be a guy who loved a serious Batman. I think now I want me a mysterious Batman. Mysterious over serious for the kid. And uh but anyway, Jack Nicholson is the reason why Batman 89 got made full stop. Okay? Fucking Mr. Mom didn't get fucking Batman made. It didn't yeah, break a, a almost century long or 40 year long curse of this property looking like a dumb biff pal bunch of shit. Okay? Jack Nicholson committing to it. Got them all those meetings where they were getting rejected and got them the meetings where they got where they got what they were going to get. And mm-hmm. so I just think we, we can't we got to give a, give it up to Jack Nicholson for like signing on and then waiting 10, 12, 15 fucking years mm. to, to do the part. It's it's a dedication and, and it's like a, it's like how Harvey Keitel got Reservoir Dogs made. They weren't going to make that shit. Harvey Keitel signing on got it made. Jack Nicholson did the same thing for this giant cultural touchstone and he got hella rich too baby he got points on the movie he got points and and by the
1: by the way big thanks to our good friend John Peters for this movie
0: yeah Ah! that's right
1: that's
0: right Um, another thing also um, I want to talk about the soundtrack a little bit I know we're getting long in the tooth talking about four movies here, but they, they're, they uh, I i think, I'll, by the way, I think a lot of these movies we could literally do whole specific episodes about if we really felt like doing it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, but um, this one, I just want to talk about, like, how interesting, I think, not only the, sa- the soundtrack itself was good, but specifically Prince doing the side music to it. And I don't know if this is one of the first movies that really did that super well. Um, I know Heavy Metal had a pretty sick ass soundtrack, but that was a uh, animated, so a little bit, little bit different style. But this this soundtrack is so good. The Batman like Prince music is amazing, and I literally bought it when I was a kid and listened to it in a cassette tape and then a Walkman. Uh, When with a CD player eventually, (laughs) because I bought another CD once I had a CD player. So I mean, it's it's a pretty great soundtrack. I just want to mention that,
1: you know, what's really funny about that is all of the Prince music in the movie is all diegetic music. Which is the industry term for like music that exists in the world of the story as opposed to the score, which is non diegetic music because like the characters don't hear the score. So every time you hear a Prince song, it's because it's actually playing like on the Joker's boombox over the loudspeakers during the parade, et cetera. Joker's favorite musician. Yeah, but it's just, again, it was like a really smart move by Tim Burton, because obviously, like the studio foisted Prince on the movie, either that or John Peters did, because he was like, yo, I got Prince, um, but yeah, <laughs> introducing it into the movie in that way, I just think was just a, a stroke of genius, so yeah, good call, Ron, it's a, it's a very unique soundtrack.
2: Yeah, although, yeah, what I was going to say was uh, exactly what you said, Bill, except I was just going to be like, that's what music sounds like in that world. Mm. Like, the, it, it it, it gives you it doesn't give you this opportunity to be like, oh, that's a song I know, or that's a song on the radio coming up this summer, or oh, that's Billie Eilish or whatever the fuck. No, music in Batman's world is Prince. When yep. you turn on music, and Prince is so multivaried that he can just play this sort of music. He can play sort of a hip hoppy track, sort of a funk thing, sort of a lay you down by the fire fuck song. Or yep. or a, a giant ballad, or just anything. He can do anything. His his musical oeuvre covers everything. So like
1: that that part is sick as fuck. So yeah, diegetic. I learned a new word, baby. Yeah, that was cool. Thanks, Bill. All right, guys. So, Batman, Robocop, or Conan? We've talked enough about all of them. Pick one. Oof. Uh, I just, you know, you really can't beat
2: Batman, but the fact that Robocop and Conan are, 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 um, you know, I don't, it's funny. I don't know if Robocop and Batman, I mean, I don't know if Robocop and Conan could beat Batman in a fight. Mm. So, I, you know, unless mm. it was in like a phone booth or something. So it's just, it's just a funny way to think about it. But yeah, I, my vote is Batman, but just by the slimmest of margins. Cause I tell you what, I tell people that I'm going to, uh, crush my enemies and hear the limitations of their women weekly. <laughs> I'd say something from Conan Weekly.
0: Well, it's so, it's so interesting because like, it, uh, if you're judging by quality, well, no, it's still up there too. It's I, the thing is, it's it, because of like you just mentioned, Batman doesn't really have a plot. There isn't mm-hmm. a through line. There's no character arc. No one gets smarter, better, or learns anything in Batman in any way, shape, or form. Um, so like. And to me, RoboCop is actually probably overall a better movie, even though there still is some of that 80s schlock and, and you know, that sort of thing. But I, if I think about rewatchability, I, I still every once in a while throw on Batman 89 and just watch yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Uh, on the uh, AI episode that we did, we talked about RoboCop. It's a seminal, great movie that shows where we were at as a culture or what people thought of the future. And it was so prophetic, you know. And and then a lot of the effects hold up because they're very practical and they're just nasty. So yeah, I, I yeah, but
1: Batman eighty nine. I don't know, it couldn't be beat. Yeah, I'm with you guys on literally everything you've said. Batman takes the crown. We got Superman in the 70s, Batman in the 80s. Now on to arguably the weirdest decade. Yes.
0: Look, look, I do want to mention as a a side uh, thing, uh, the best Marvel movie of the 80s. And that's The Punisher. (laughs) 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 That's oh. only because the only other Marvel movie really was Howard the Duck.
1: So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dolph, the Punisher
1: or Duck boobs? Yeah, dude. I mean, which one aroused you more is the question, <laughs> dude. Let me tell you something: I, this that ass,
2: was... <laughs> duck ass. Now we we talked about um uh, another uh, Patreon conversation. Um, we talked about um the trial of the Incredible Hulk and the Incredible Hulk Returns TV movie. Hmm. Oh, Ron, yeah. in that movie, if you recall, fucking um Thor, uh Don Donald Blake grabs that yes. Thor's hammer and goes Odin, and lightning comes out, and Thor pops in as like a genie that does Don Blake's wishes. Let me tell you yes. something, Gene. Incredible Hulk Returns is better than fucking the Punisher. <laughs> and fucking you, and watch your
0: fucking <laughs> mouth. It has Look, been, it he has been had,
1: spoken. He had a skull
0: <laughs> on a dagger. OK, <laughs> he <Dude. laughs> he slides in holding two machine guns, yet still also holding himself on a wire, shooting people. <laughs> OK, yeah, he he's also naked rode- in the sewer. <laughs> Have you been naked in the sewer? Su- OK, <laughs> I,
2: he, rode, he, he rode a motorcycle to the sewer. It's almost like he was uh, projecting the movie's future anyway. <laughs> so. um. <laughs> All right, let's Uh, do it. 90s, yeah, yeah, this is a tough one.
1: So the 90s are characterized by, like, everything except the big-name superheroes. Mm -hmm, Uh, Although mm -hmm. the Batman series famously continued and then cratered in the 90s, so that it encompasses Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. But aside from that, a lot of really off-kilter choices – So are there any dishonorable mentions you guys want to throw out other than obviously Batman and Robin? Or do we want to start with some favorites? Dick Tracy, man. Oh. That movie,
2: I don't know who the fuck that was for, dude, because little kids (laughs) wasn't reading Dick Tracy. The older people didn't have the nostalgia for it that they remembered. Warren Beatty, while a great actor and a great personality, I never believed that guy was Dick Tracy. He didn't have enough character in his face. He's too cute, too handsome. Madonna sucked fucking al pacino sucked in it every that movie sucks on so many it's like it has as much vision as as tim burton's 1989 batman but the vision has glaucoma that's all i gotta say about it
1: brilliantly stated i was gonna say that this was a movie that was trying to create its own interesting comic book world but it just didn't have tim burton barb wire remember barb wire jesus Oh, buddy,
2: that that's a wild one, because those comic books, It I think that might have been the first of the of the comic book movies, like like a little comic book that gets made into a movie. And you're like, what the fuck? Like almost akin to Men in Black, like five people read the Men in right. Black comic book, and it becomes this giant IP. Barb Wire was like that. But like, obviously, it didn't become giant because it was very bad. It wasn't even as good <laughs> as the Barb Wire comics, which weren't that great.
1: Yeah. All right, well, as long as we're talking about obscure little indie comics that get made into big-budget movies, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, guys. And this is not the only obscure little indie comic we're going to talk about, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the entire original trilogy are all 90s movies. Turtles in Time, the third one, execrable bullshit. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, I have really fond memories of, but if you rewatch it with any sort of adult filter, you realize like, oh, this is dumber than any Saturday morning cartoon. It just has like a cool soundtrack and arguably good jokes. Yeah, and but the go ahead, all right, uh, and go some good fight scenes. I mean, nah, nah, the, here's here's the thing. Maybe I I'm think thinking of number one. You are, and this is where people mm. get confused because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. I would say has no fight scenes. Almost all of their fight scenes are played for gags. And the ones that aren't are literally just them standing shell to shell, like swaying back and forth, scared.
0: Yeah. That's what, Teenage Mutant
1: Ninja Turtles too.
0: What is, doesn't Ernie Ray's junior is he in that? Yes. One? As and Kino. the funny thing is, cool. I think he has the only good fight scene in it. Correct. <laughs> now that I think about it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you're yeah. right.
1: But okay. I do want to talk about the original. The first, one. the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, number one, is a much more serious movie than you probably remember. Yeah. Number two is like thematically dense as hell. I mean, it is a movie about disaffected youth and the yep. loss of father figures, not only with the turtles themselves, but with the entire plot of what they're fighting. And you watch as this kid gets radicalized by the Foot Clan which is like an underground 80s style gang, like the Warriors or some shit. But it's genuinely like chilling. Like you watch as this kid who's April O'Neil's boss's kid starts like stealing from his father, hiding the secret life, hanging out in this weird underground cult. The Shredder is very much played as like a cult leader with all these kids under his thrall. Like it's dark and weird and kind of awesome.
0: I, I like yeah like it's technically made for like thirteen year olds, I think. I don't think it, I think it was a right. thirteen, right? Like Exactly. Uh, but right. I mean for, for that age, it's obviously it's not like blood and guts and like the comic mm-hmm. actually is. Right. And I'm I'm sure some of you some of those teenage mutant ninja turtle fans out there would love to see some T M N T where he's they're like chopping dudes in half and shit, but like we don't need No one else wants to see that.
2: so (laughs) I don't don't think so either. But I will say uh, the final battle is where I think what you just said in in regards to it being dark, it wasn't just some heartwarming we're going to work together thing. It was like, this guy is going to fucking kill us, Mm -hmm. as in murder us with his bare hands Mm -hmm. if we don't band together and Voltron this motherfucker. This guy is so hard that we got to be a team. And that was like, as a kid, I was that was kind of chilling. It wasn't like, hey, do maneuver five, bounce off my bow staff, and hit him in the nuts. <laughs> they really had to do hardcore ninja fighting to defeat him, and even then, they didn't want to kill him, you know. Uh, and and then he ends up dying or falling in the trash compactor or whatever. But like, uh, I just love that final scene. You you feel the fear of four turtles fighting a guy who looks like a fucking can opener, <laughs> and you feel something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's also
1: awesome. Like I, I can't stress enough how thematically tight that movie is like that entire movie is about family and like what family should be and what family should not be. And even just that showdown at the end, like so much shit comes together because not only is it the turtles trying to take down this like evil surrogate father figure that's corrupting the youth of the city. He also killed splinters family. Like, by the logic of the movie, this guy that they're facing off with murdered their grandmother and grandfather. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's Mm -hmm. like, it's such a reckoning at the end of that movie. And even the stuff with Casey Jones, which is just such a good performance by Elias Cotillas, like that becomes this, this thing about found family and his relationship with April and April's relationship with the turtles and like coming to accept each other. It's it's a fucking great movie, man. I love that movie. You got to revisit it if you haven't lately. Fucking A. Now, let's let's talk about a couple
2: that, you know, you kind of don't have to revisit even though they are seminal. Uh the motherfucking Shadow, 1994's yeah. The Shadow. That yeah. movie had so much potential and just squandered it and like I it it's just the world in which Alec Baldwin is the first Batman that we see haunts me almost like the world where they got a a young pierce Brosnan to be james bond for like 10 movies in a row instead of like three when he's in his late 40s Mm -hmm. there's there's these other worlds that are out Mm -hmm. there that are better than ours and i think that might be one of them and just the the shadow just was too late in the wake of any batman anything even batman 2 which i know people may be itching to talk about but for, for me I don't really watch the second Batman that much. I think even as a youth, I didn't like him punching through the floor of his impenetrable car to grab bombs off the bottom of it. You know what I mean? I mean? You couldn't punch to the floor of your Datsun. I don't understand why you think that somebody could punch to the floor of the Batmobile. I don't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't like how he would like, even in the first movie, he dropped the bomb and then he drove his car away from the guys. But in the second one, he's just like attaching bombs to guys and throwing them down wells and shit. It the was too movie. much for me, honestly. Yeah.
1: That whole movie is kind of overbaked nonsense. Like, there's, it's, it does too much. It's doing too much. Like, it's calm down. Batman returns. (laughs) Right, right. And so
2: I just want to lump that in with stuff like the shadow, as in things that, like, could have been very interesting, but are are almost over designed. There was this over design where they kind of went overboard. I think Anton first died between Batman one and Batman two. I think the guy who designed Gotham, the concept designer. Yeah. Yeah. So Gotham gets weirder in a not that cool way although i gotta say christopher walken brightens up any day even mm. misused in that movie just max Shrek, it's brilliant brilliant character i wish That's he was true. in a different movie but you know I, but yeah shadow agree. sucks and and i i'm having a hard time picking out specific things because it was so it's just the, not good. The, sha- the shadow and the phantom both suck in the same weird it's yes. too bright. Doesn't make any sense. The anachronism of it being the forties. You're not selling me on it really being the forties, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. Well, also it, it, the the bat the first Batman movie felt like it was more in the forties or the fifties than the Shadow did, but by like a
1: bazillion miles. Mm. Well, I was going to say I, I think both the Shadow and the Phantom like don't really know what kind of movie they want to be. Like, mm. is it snarky? Is it funny? Is your, is your title character like an awesome badass or does he get by more on like his mystique because he's actually not that great? Like there's all this shit where it just ends up feeling confused. Both of those movies you just talked about
2: fucking um, the shadow and the phantom. Both of them are worse than time cop, which was a movie was based loosely on, on a dark horse comic. That's fair. And I- Time cop with the splitting in the kitchen to dodge the fucking tasers and the shit. Guys. Time cop is the shit. Time cop shits on the shadow, the found a lot of this is shit from the nineties. Time cop is kicking ass. It,
0: it's it's one of those movies that I feel like if I go back and watch, I'll be like, oh my god, this is so fucking stupid. But I do remember this is like the nineteen eighty four Supergirl. I. I do remember watching that movie multiple times when I was a kid with my best friend Lance, and us just like wishing we could do the splits, one, two, wishing we could do a three sixty <laughs> kick, trying to do that three sixty <laughs> kick over and over again, and eating shit, sure. and like, like I just like so I don't know. That's one of those one of those things where I time cop is my problem with including time cop isn't in, in this is that it's a Van Damme movie, and to me. Every Van Damme movie is just a Van Damme movie. Like Time Cop is the same as Bloodsport, as far as I'm concerned, and it's the same as Overtime or whatever that hockey movie was called.
2: Sudden Death.
0: Sudden Death. It's the <laughs> Which same. Which they don't even have. Impact.
2: They don't even have Sudden Death in no, hockey.
0: They don't. I don't <laughs> it's they don't. So
2: ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's so dumb. They should have called oh. it Iced.
1: I have to <laughs> I, I have to make a confession that I've never seen time cop. what? Yes, dude. okay, okay look, 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 just really i I could, I could do the plot very quickly.
2: John Dan plays a time cop, uh, an agent of the time authority. He stops people from abusing um advantages of the time code. It opens up on a scene of him grabbing a guy who was cashing out right before the the um the the big crash in the twenties. He just cashed out a gang money or it actually starts out with a guy stealing uh, Confederate gold with two M60 machine or two like HK Heckler and Koch uh, laser sight machine guns in the 1840s, steals a bunch of Confederate gold, that Hmm. sort of thing. He stops people from doing shit like that, but a Senator or something from his time starts manipulating the time authority so that he could make money on the down low and, and, uh, John Dams just this one man against a giant bureaucracy trying to stop him from, you know, uh, capturing this guy who's going to abuse time more than anybody. And all and, he's uh, got is his yeah. fists and his legs, and his and his um, and his love of his beautiful wife. It was yeah, another hottie, '80s hottie in there. Uh, yeah, goddamn, sure his his wife was worth fighting through time, baby.
1: Hey, <laughs> um, listen, listen. I mean, to say nothing else. 80s and 90s movies—they knew how to cast a love interest. <laughs> True. And uh,
0: actually, okay.
1: wait—I yeah. I, want to use that as a jumping-off point because I just found something interesting mm-hmm. while looking this up online. So, Mark Verheiden, who wrote Time Cop, is actually has at least a story by credit. So, is one of the writers on another one of these indie comics, weird movies from the 90s that also has arguably the best super hot love interest, and that is The Mask. yeah yeah the mask was based on a dark horse comic book uh it was definitively a superhero movie but it also was a jim carrey movie in the same way that time cop is a jean-claude van damme movie but i would argue it is by far a better vehicle um and i think jim carrey is probably a better actor like he transforms himself into a human cartoon like never has an actor been so well paired with his subject matter It was yeah yeah Yeah. and of course introduced Cameron Diaz to the world and you know gotta get props for that.
2: Dude Cameron
1: that 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 era Cameron Diaz is almost like
2: that era J Lo where it's just like Mm. Jesus Christ, what a (laughs) gravy boat. You know what I mean? It's like like the, yep, the, she's beautiful. not hitting the gym. She doesn't give a fuck about a gym. She eats tacos <laughs> and hangs out of the couch with you. And she's hot as fuck. You know what I mean? She doesn't sweat a whole lot, which mm. is great. Mm. You know what I mean? That era Cameron Diaz did not sweat a lot. And I loved it. Um <laughs> look I'm just saying, we, that's my way of saying that, that in the in these modern era, we just kind of, you know, hey girl, you got some ass. You better get rid of that before you get in a movie. Bryce Dallas Howard had to lose weight to be at Jurassic Park. What the what? fuck? No, yeah. I feel you.
0: I feel you. They were they but were I mean, like yeah, oh, the nineties and the eighties to... were weird with that shit.
2: Yeah, man, um, it just sucks. For sure. It's bad for everything. <laughs> hmm. Yeah,
0: it's bad for it's bad for actresses and um um and for objectification.
2: It's bad. it's, yeah, it's look, bad I'm for all of to, it. I it's need bad to look society, at society,
0: goddamn it, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Where are the big asses? This is ridiculous, and I I can't I can't allow this any longer. I do oh, want to point out one 90s. crazy thing about the nineties is how many like so so for instance, you remember Dark Man? Oh fuck yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were three of them yeah <laughs> that, that's what's interesting like the first dark man's pretty good it's <laughs> it's like okay
1: go ahead the only the first dark man though starred liam neeson after yes. that i don't know what happened
0: yeah right yeah that's pretty much all we need to know uh but i just thought it was bananas that there was three of those movies it's, it's just interesting and then we got robocop two and three um and uh those
2: weren't great um Oh, also, um, um, honorable mention, uh, Tank Girl, which got kind of fucked up in the translation from the yeah. comic books, and also, um, Judge Dredd, uh, oh, you yeah. know that that got super fucked up because it wasn't Dread, the so-called good one, which I think is kind of okay rather than so great, but uh, but Judge Dread itself fired. is very bad, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, no, Alice Garland is my boy, but G- geez, Louise, come on, you know, it's like it's it, the Raid is better than Judge Dread, and they're the same movie. So mm-hmm. it's like I don't know what, mm-hmm. you know, why after I've watched Ibo Quace beat the fuck out of literally 170 people going up like a video game up the up the ladder, watching Judd Red shoot people around the corner with hot bullets. Give me those hot bullets. shoot a <laughs> heat <heat-seeking laughs> missile around the corner at some some poor kid from the ghetto just getting blown up by
1: hot bullets. It just doesn't it just doesn't hit right. You know, uh, uh, guys, we're going to be here all day if we keep <laughs> listing all the movies we don't like. And I only want to bring that up because I feel like we moved on very quickly from The Mask. And to oh, me, yeah. The Mask is a legit contender for Best of the 90s. Okay. I remember that movie as fondly as Ron remembers Time Cop, which is cool because they came out in the same year. But also, yeah,
0: I, I love The yeah. Mask. I watched The Mask in the movie theater multiple times, multiple times. Then we got the the VHS tape. Because we had a still had v, VHS at the time, yeah, and watched the shit out of that. Me and my best friend Lance watched The Mask and did all the lines, you know, all of that shit.
2: Smoking, I don't. I don't know what happened. I think, number one, I was not a mass fan. I did not watch that movie. Full stop. I did oh. not watch that movie. And when I read the comics later, I was almost glad that I didn't because the comics, uh, number one, I didn't know Cameron Diaz had all that ass in the movie. Okay. I didn't really watch the trailers. They didn't really put the <laughs> camera low enough for me to be interested. I was like, you know, although Cameron Diaz was so beautiful. Anyway, and Jim Cameron, J- Jim Carrey, even in the ads, was so great. The makeup looked great. His uh. zoot suits and shit from the cartoons and stuff. All that looked so sick. But when you read the mask comics, especially the ones drawn by Doug Monkey, and I guess the, the, the really great ones are written by Peter Arcudi. Those mask comics are about like a guy who takes over a town as like a serious gangster. But his mm. problem is he's got the mask on. So it's not like a milquetoast guy trying to do this, then and the other and getting sort of influenced and then sort of triumphing in the end or whatever the fuck. It's like that mask is a fucking horror show. And when it gets on you and it starts releasing your inhibitions, whatever you really want to do is what you're going to set out to accomplish. So when it's on a sociopath, the world could be over. If it's on some guy who wants to be a gangster, he's going to be the best gangster in the world because you can't kill him. You know, like imagine Scarface who could just take all those bullets at the end and just Mm. keep shooting all the guys and win. That was what the comic book was about for like two or three volumes. And they were just so kind of mature and fresh, that I didn't want to retreat to go watch the movie. But on you guys' recommendation, I'll give it a shot.
1: It's cool. weird because the villain of the movie is almost what you're describing. So I nice. wonder if that's what happened in translation, where it's yep. like they took the character from the comics and sort of made him the villain in this movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay, so um, all right, I got to bring up the crow. Please. Yeah, you have um. to. That movie is so fucking good. Like it's so good. It's a great movie. That sound it's, it's one another of, one of those soundtrack
1: ones. Mhm. I was going to say it does almost all the same things right that Batman 89 does right. Yes.
0: Yeah. It it lives in a its own world. The city is part of the whole thing. The the characters are so creepy, the funny parts that are over the top, like you know, all the 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 dude with that deep voice oh, I can't even do his voice it's so uh, michael
2: michael Wincott
0: oh, oh man that that guy's voice is incredible, he makes all those weird jokes, he's snorting cocaine, he's got his crazy sister with the eyes and the it's just i man, and fight scenes are you kidding me Brandon Lee oh, oh
1: Brandon Lee, no, I'm sad, you guys. <laughs> This is just like Ron's id being spilled onto the podcast while thinking about lit. the crow.
0: Man, it's just like, oh, there's so many good scenes in that movie. Mm-hmm. That whole scene where he kills everybody in the nightclub, basically, mm-hmm. that scene is mm-hmm. fucking incredible.
2: And it's been ripped off by like 16 Batman movies. You, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's it's a lot, dude. A lot of the visual language they've used for Batman for like... 20 years is just more or less ripped off of the crow, which is interesting. Like even the running across the rooftops, which was like hard to shoot in 1990, something like uh, a real yeah. running across the rooftop scene was hard to shoot. And I, I just remember that movie as being like, there was a, there was a, it was just as plotless and stupid, frankly, as 1989. Yeah. But in the same way, it was like, um,
0: it's a very like simple a tone. Revenge
2: story. Like yeah. a poem. It was like a poem. Like, 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 uh, Ron, you said earlier that Batman doesn't get, uh, nobody gets better in the Batman movie, but Batman actually just gets a little bit freed of his trauma. He's not going to stop putting on a cape and run around at night, but he knows that the person who killed his parents is gone. He knows that what he's doing is right and his function of being here is right because he's literally saved the city three times in the course of 90 minutes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that there's something there. And like in the crow, you're, it's similar in that he gets to more or less go to heaven and be with his chick or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's and, something. And powerful he accidentally that. kills all the
0: bad guys. <laughs> like it's, it's more like he just has to do this. He would have let that one guy go. He killed everybody who was mean to his wife. And if the other guy hadn't gone after him, I don't think he would have like actually killed him. I think he would have just let it, let it slide by, but the guy had to try to kill him. And then that was it. Like,
2: he had a specific vendetta like it was like a it was like a good terminator movie Mm. i'm not saying terminator movies are bad i'm just saying he is a good a good version a heroic terminator in that movie which is interesting they do that in the wraith too like that weird charlie sheen movie about the car this kid dies and he comes back as like a supercar wielding just murderer Mm. those movies are weird That, that there was an interesting time when they would just let you be like oh they killed you we'll just come back and kill them all you're a hero Like the nineties had a really weird conception of what heroism was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've never even heard of that Charlie Sheen movie. Oh yeah. It's Um, called the Wraith. It's fucking
2: terrible, but you should watch it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean the mashup of like pure revenge story, almost, you know, a 1970s, like get back at the assholes who wronged you sort of thing mashed up with like a supernatural genre movie is a formula that has since been used in a lot of different contexts. Um, so the crow really started a trend there to say nothing of the fact that like the crow became its own huge franchise that went on for a bunch more movies in the same way, I guess that dark man did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I would, would argue, even. Finishing. I'd argue that even the matrix stole a little bit of the, the yeah, crow. Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, the Matrix the Matrix stole from Blade and the fucking Crow. Don't get me started well, on that shit.
0: Well, and let's let's bring it up uh, since you said it.
2: All right. Right before we do that, though, we got to mention, honorable mention, Batman Mass of the Phantasm. The fact yes, that none sir. of us nerds has mentioned that at all. A, it's a comic book movie. B, it's the best comic book movie. Uh, it's the best Batman comic book movie of the 90s, full stop. It is, 100%. Yep. Yep. and it's just and it comes out in the movies and it bombs like five people saw it in the movie theater of which i was not one but when i saw it and then i, I read was. the uh batman I year was. two <laughs> i when i bet when i read batman year two and saw how closely they were drawing from the story but then they adapted it in a way that was like brilliant to me i was like these motherfuckers is on one i batman mask with the mask with the phantasm is almost it's as close to perfect as almost
1: anything I did see it in theaters. I will say that's a movie that like gets better the more times you watch it. It's one of those like it's so good it takes you like two three viewings to fully appreciate just how tightly everything in that movie is wound. That's a phenomenal mm. movie.
0: Yeah, hundred percent agreed. And if uh if we're not if we're not counting live action, I, I I would put that in my top three for sure. Uh, and I got to watch that multiple times because I was working at a movie theater at the time.
2: but yeah and i just want to really quickly mention the fucking um deluge of comic book movies in 1997 which leads us right into blade Mm -hmm. yeah fucking batman and robin uh uh justice league america had a tv thing uh spawn Mm -hmm. uh steel power rangers like 1997 was just trying 1997 thought that they were 2015 (laughs) by how much shit they were
1: trying to put out in this genre it's so true. I, listen, I got to say, in 1997, I was 13 years old, and I was eating Oof. that shit up, man.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Men in Black as well. I don't count yeah. that as a superhero movie. Although, was it a comic book beforehand? It I was don't know. a comic yes, book, book.
2: It was a comic wow. book before. That's so a again, comic it, book
0: I want to read now. Like, it, I want to go check that counts. out. Yeah. I don't know
1: if
2: you do, no? but yeah, okay. it, it's it's okay. But yeah, it's more of a conspiracy. All conspiracy theories. Well, you know I hate that, and so, so that yes. Well, well, there you go. So okay, well, let's get to Big Daddy before we uh, fucking uh, uh, dally too much longer, because you know when you're describing comic book movies in the '90s, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> not, you got you got to talk about Blade. You have oh. to. It was. As much as Superman birthed the genre, the,
1: the real rebirth of it was hmm. Blade. Yep. Yeah, yeah man. I, I think if, if this discussion has proven anything, it's that um, Michael Keaton's Batman, while a huge pop culture phenomenon, did not ignite a frenzy of great movie making. We're hmm. talking almost 10 years between then and Blade. And there's really nothing that compares to Blade in that time period after blade we're off to the races baby yeah i mean blade is
0: dude i can't i can't even tell you i don't remember how many times i saw that in the movie theater it was a lot i mean i remember watching that movie this is another you know i've talked about rumble in the bronx when it first came out um uh and i went with friends and it was just a packed ass theater and people were freaking the fuck out because no one had seen anyone do anything like that before Blade was the exact same thing. I went and saw Blade with a whole packed ass theater and people were cheering at those fight scenes. Like like so pumped up, like they had never seen anything like this before. I I, I remember it being a frenetic. It reminds me of going to that Slayer concert that I think I might have described before where Slayer starts playing the beginning of Raining of Blood. Dudes who have tattoos of demons are hugging each other, crying, and then nine mosh pits form all at once. That's what going to Blade was like, the first time I went and saw it with on, on the opening night. So yeah, I, I, yeah. When
2: I, when I saw Blade, it was like I remember being a kid and going to see Rumble in the Bronx in the movie theater at at a, a, at basically a predominantly urban theater, mm. <laughs> and motherfuckers was getting loose when Jackie Chan was doing all that hot shit, and it was <laughs> it was like Blade. It, I mean, yep. Blade was like that. It was like. You, your mind is being blown. You have to, like, sometimes stand up and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, what? It was the first time that a market improvement had been made upon the comic book material. Full stop. Yep. A lot of these movies are successful in spite of their adaptation or their, their peculiar, like Batman 89, their peculiar adaptation of the comic book character. This is just an improvement. Full stop over the comic book character, the comic book character had weak eyes. Cause his mom got fucked by a vampire or whatever. So he's got weak eyes in the daytime. He's kind of like Mr. Magoo in the daytime. He has to put on some stunner shades and he carries around wood to stab him. And he knows fucking strip mall karate. Mm. And that's it. Mm. And this guy has all the strength of, of vampires and other weaknesses He's a day he's got to He's got to pay a penance for being bit by the vampire by pumping that serum into his shit. His Alfred basically keeps him alive. It keeps him from killing people and going crazy, becoming a serial killer vampire by, by formulating the serum and injecting him in this special way and then holding his hand as brothers while he goes to rack with pain from the, taking the serum. The world is so well realized. His fucking car is sick. His base is sick. His weapons are sick. Everything's sick. The only thing that sucks about that whole movie is goddamn Steven Dorff being the person that's menacing this beautiful man, Blade. It's the yeah. only
1: weak part of the whole enterprise. See, I always liked Steven Dorff in that role just because like, he was the epitome, amalgamation of an emo, whiny guy and like an entitled rich prick. I mean, I, yeah. I thought that was an amazing character.
2: Well, you know, you know what it is. It's almost like the Flash Thompson of the modern Spider-Man stuff. It's yeah. like the modern bully, and then think about him as a vampire, like an, a super old vampire in that little spindly body, that little short, you know, yeah. sawed-off body. How how what kind of Napoleonic syndrome he would have? You know, uh, he's a, and he was a rebel. I loved his acting too. He, yeah. I believed him being a nouveau riche. Vampire, if you will, like the Absolutely. old guys are old money, old blood rather, and
1: he's Dude. young blood. Oh, I loved it. He sold it good too. No, the, I mean the whole vampire world, the underground vampire world, and then yep. Udo mm-hmm. Kier as the the vampire the Deacon Frost kills. The we have existed this way for thousands of generations. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It was it literally felt like, oh, I get it. It's a new generation of vampires replacing Dracula but nothing about it felt cheesy at all. But in your mind, like it works so well, everything about that is so well realized. Like it's just kick ass.
2: Oh, and l- this last thing for me on this, cause I could talk about this for all day, but the silver exploding vampires, oh, silver, yeah. not just hurting them. It explodes them. Yep. Master stroke, just a master stroke.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I got like, like, Sorry guys, I, I know I'm getting weird, but I just because every time I think about this movie, I think about how much it's influenced everything, and how we may not have any of the stuff we've got now without Blade coming out. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's arguable. Plus, we wouldn't have gotten
2: Underworld, um, and <laughs> it, it wouldn't look like that. That the Matrix wouldn't look like that without the yep. Matrix, without Blade, and arguably the Crow. And I understand that they were both playing on '90s fashion. I get yeah, that for sure. But to make those fashions iconic so that they last into the 2000s with the X Men movies, that I mean, 1999 brings that X Men movie, and they're dressing low key like Blade, and yep. then and uh, they and the Matrix motherfuckers are dressing. I mean, yeah, uh, the X Men are dressing low key like the like the Matrix people who are dressing like Blade, who was dressing like the Crow. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah i i I think it's also worth noting that. Blade in making all of these um, improvements to the source material like taking it seriously enough to make it better than the comics it was based on was also one of the first movies that was straight up written by a comics geek and that is a comics geek that we have since come to know very very well none other than David Goyer Mm mm-hmm. This was oh, yeah. one of his first big budget credits. This guy has since gone on to be involved with the Dark Knight trilogy, all the Zack Snyder uh, DC films, among many, many other projects. He got his start doing Blade. And like all of these things that Ed talked about that were really upgrades from what the comics character were, um, that started with David Goyer. And I think it, mm-hmm. it speaks volumes that like this was the beginning of comic book nerds taking over Hollywood as well. It's interesting. Absolutely.
0: Well, and uh, and this is something that's interesting that all the movies that we've mentioned that we all really like in the this entire time and it's an hour and whatever amount of time we've been talking, all of them have had those worlds situations where, mm. like, like Blade feels like a real world where there's vampires and that stuff is real. When you go into that vampire, um, I guess like underground base or whatever um it feels like a real lived in like situation like it, that the council of old-ass vampires with a couple mm-hmm. of the new guys they have to let them in because they're all they're part of it and they're popular and you know what i mean like there's just there's a whole vibe to the world that you're like this is real this feels real and it was mm-hmm. hidden within um a real city so mm-hmm. that was an added bonus. Like for me who loves urban fantasy, like you adding in that, Mm. that whole vibe into it made it a real, again, real lived in world. And I think it's pretty amazing that the one thing we're finding consistent of the ones we like the best is that they created a world that felt like it could, like it was its own thing and it was part of the film.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You have to create a world and it doesn't necessarily have to be ours. It can be, uh, like our world is just a sugar coated topping you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean one might even say
2: that yes indeed <laughs> you know so okay so i think it's pretty definitive our our candidates for the 90s are the shadow the fucking uh, the phantom <laughs> yeah. and uh Man. Uh-huh, uh, uh dark uh-huh. uh, uh dick
1: tracy uh oh wow. yeah dick tracy uh, so i mean i think blade is head and shoulders above the rest i think Honorable mention to TMNT and Batman, the Mask of the Phantasm, both great movies. The other one that I just wanted to throw out there that probably does not hold up to Blade, but is genuinely one of the greatest adventure movies ever made is Mask of Zorro. Oh, yeah. Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Zorro movie.
2: That's the real battle, dude, because even I'd say The Crow is number three. TMNT is number four zoro's probably number two now fuck massive shit this list has that's the funny thing about the 90s you can make yeah. a real list that's like six seven deep that's, that's for I'm like saying. the first time yeah that is beautiful because like i don't want to belabor it too much you can watch our uh, rebooted episode of uh, where we rebooted zoro uh mm-hmm. I, I think i think we did it pretty okay but mm-hmm. uh zoro I never saw him being that cool. When I was a little kid, I would see the black and white ones, you know, Saturday mornings with your dad or whatever. But yeah. I never thought it was that cool compared to the comics I was reading and different stuff. But Zorro looks so cool. I could see he was he's the perfect hero for that time yes. in that world. It's it's up there with some of these other things we're talking about for as far as he's the guy. He's the right guy for the job. That's another thing in all these movies, all the best ones. They present a world that needs this superhero.
1: Mm hmm. Oh, yep. I, I think I think the Mask of Zorro does that almost better than any other movie except maybe Wonder Woman, which also presents this, you know, this is a, a world in desperate need and it, it's only this one legendary mm-hmm. character that can take up the fight. Mm-hmm. The thing I'll also say about the Mask of Zorro, it's not as kick-ass as Blade. It doesn't work as just a next-level action movie that just changes the game in the same way that Blade did, like, even outside of what it did to superheroes. I would argue, you ain't never seen, except maybe watching Hong Kong action movies, like, you'd never seen an action movie as cool as Blade. But... Mask of Zorro does so many similar things in terms of elevating the source material, making it cooler than you've ever seen it, making it make sense in a way that nobody had ever really taken the time to try to do before, like making it better than what you had on the page. If Blade did that for the Blade comics, Mask of Zorro did that for all the Zorro media that preceded it. Mm -hmm. And Last thing I'll say about Blade is uh, read the Alex Toth
2: zorro comics you can get them into your local library you can use your library app on your fucking phone Mm. and get digital copies sent to your fucking ipad to read these comics alex toth oh and there's also comicsology and shit alex toth drew the hell out of some fucking zorro Mm, and he was under arrest too he almost drew them while he was falling down the stairs because he had so many other jobs it was just sort of a job to him he just kind of hacked them out and they're beautiful so yeah i just got to mention that
1: well, I think uh, I think we've got something like a top a top five list, I guess, for the '90s. Blade takes the crown. Yeah. Um, I feel like we maybe this might we might be getting into a two parter territory here because we've got <laughs> arguably three more decades to go, guys. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll do a two parter. Yeah. I think
0: we can call this uh, the the I think that it's also I think ending the '90s, uh, ending in the '90s is actually like a pretty pretty great way to end this first yeah. episode yeah well, because- yeah i
2: think yeah the 90s is a good uh because it's like the explosion right we end on the third act the third act explosion
1: yeah, yeah. sneak peek the 2000s include movies like batman begins the dark knight the incredibles iron man -Man, spider-man spider-man 2 i mean this list is ridiculous yeah and uh it's gonna take some time and some debate because i think some of us might like some of these movies more than others
2: yeah even if x2 yep (laughs) oh dude yeah i i fucked with x2 for 15 minutes Yep. Um, (laughs) And after that. (laughs) But no. So yes, this is a perfect uh stopping point for this episode. Please join our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod for more of the things that we like to talk about. And also leave us uh, you know what? If you don't like our lists, you know the best way to argue with us, get on that goddamn Spotify app or that Apple Podcast or whatever and sit and leave us a review telling us all of your feelings and then put five stars on that, some bitch.
0: Hey, also, remember to f- check us all out on Rebooted. We have a new show going on called Movie Mashup. It's hilarious. It's goofy. It's it's 30 minutes, so it's tight. You can check it out um, at our Rebooted channel on YouTube. And thank you, as always, for listening to another episode of The Greatest pie.